Take it away, Derek. What's your question? Why do you guys talk about comics so much? Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? 18 years. <laughs> Toothbrush is still fresh. Did they have sex? Because, I mean, she Hulk, you know. Damn it, Tony. We went an entire episode without mentioning Maggot, and then you ruined it. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Batman's got his little fishbowl on his head, but <laughs> Superman doesn't. Cyclops was right. Except when he was wrong. Master Bruce, you are calm. I'm going to silently judge all of you. Shut up, beast. <laughs> Shut up. Like I've read it so many times, you know, it pretty much just crumbled in my hands. Come on, old chum. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read him? See, I didn't hate Hellcat until you made me read this miniseries. It was just a joke, but you made it real, Justin. No. You made it real. I, I prefer my Dazzler singing, like, Creedence Clearwater Revival songs at Australian bars. Titty discs. And <laughs> That's what to be known as from now on. Like, I'm going to go <laughs> into the Marvel Wikipedia and edit Whatever it is. <laughs> the worst titty discs. <laughs> get better than that. Comic books. Motherfucker, do you read them? Hey guys, welcome back to another spectacular episode of Comics, motherfucker! Do you read them? Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm gonna be one of your hosts tonight, and I am joined by two, count them, two alternate universe fan holes. Why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight? Hey, it's Mike. Hey, this is Justin, and I have the powers of the Beyonder, and the Infinity Gauntlet, and the Cosmic Cube. <laughs> not fair, dude. Not fair. So, I don't know. I don't know if that was enough hints or not, but the guys decided, especially Justin, he made an executive decision. It was like, can we do an episode where we talk about What If Comics? And so we all said... I, I used all those powers to force you guys to read these. Justin has genetically <laughs> manipulated me and Mike's DNA so that we agree to talk about what if comics tonight. It, so you know, ne you never have to coerce me to talk about what if. I love what if. Yeah, I like what if. But you, Justin didn't have to twist my arm to talk about what if. It was just a matter of figuring just, he out. He had to be sure. I, I I wanted to know what I was thinking. Like, what story should I bring? What should I talk about? And I was telling the guys. I was thinking. Like, I knew you guys were gonna bring issues from volume two like i knew you were gonna bring issues and i was like maybe i should like represent and try to bring an issue from volume one but it just didn't work out it i don't know i just i didn't read too many of those when i was a kid i didn't get any of those off the spinner racks i got a few of them from the back issue bins but i just couldn't find anything that i thought i was gonna really have a bunch to to dig into so i also brought an issue from Volume 2, like the other two guys on the show tonight. And I brought What If issue number 36. This has a cover date of April 1992. The on-sale date was February 18th, 1992. And the cover actually says, What If the Cosmic Avengers battled the Guardians of the Galaxy. And this is a part of a five-part storyline that's titled Timequake. And the actual interior title is What if the Cosmic Avengers and the Guardians of the Galaxy had been defeated by Korvac? And the writer is Roy Thomas. The penciler is Dave Hoover. And... 
I guess I'll just go into a synopsis. And I guess just, just for a quick setup, because this is part two of a five-part story, like, Timequake was this five-part story. It ran through What If 35 to 39, and it basically revolves around these, like, time travel dudes called the Timekeepers. And I think the idea basically was these Timekeepers were at odds with these beings who were considered, like, a point of nexus for the time streams. And so, like, they, in some issues of West Coast Avengers that Roy Thomas wrote, they were trying to tie up, like, John Byrne's run, I think. And so they decided that Immortus was going to imbue the Scarlet Witch with all these properties from the time nexus and then it ended up like they were all imbued in a mortis and i don't know anyway it was all this kind of stuff but basically the idea is in this the timekeeper's intent is to destroy any nexus beings from the marvel multiverse so like in is every it doesn't issue... doesn't this stuff come up in avengers forever too yeah yeah like yeah, yeah. like these are these yeah. are the three guys that kang ends up killing at the end yes. isn't it yeah. yes i thought yeah. so yeah so so like the basically it's like every every issue has some kind of you know individual who serves as a nexus point so like in in the previous issue it's the universe where spider-man is a member of the fantastic four now fantastic five and basically they save the unborn franklin richards because he is the nexus point in that reality so they the the timekeepers don't succeed in that reality because doom's like I don't know, super cool, and he basically, you know, helps out and fights Annihilus and everything and gets plucked away at the last minute, but everybody else thinks he, like, sacrificed his life to, like, you know, help out and save the day and all that kind of stuff. But um, in 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 this issue, basically, I'll just get into the, the synopsis here. At the end of time, Uatu the Watcher is conferring with the trio, intent on wiping out the Nexi of all realities. The Timekeepers made a deal with Immortus so that he would be the master of time if he would erase any and all Nexus beings that threatened their very existence. Though the majority of the Nexi were stored in the Scarlet Witch, and then ultimately Immortus himself, once the Witch was freed by her teammates from the West Coast Avengers, Immortus had overlooked four Nexi beings, much to the chagrin of the Timekeepers. While the Timekeepers think Doctor Doom from the Fantastic Five, reality has perished saving the nexus of that reality, the newly born Franklin Richards, the Watcher knows Doom was saved by the being known as the Whisperer. The Keepers don't know Doom survived and also figure they have at least three more opportunities to succeed as they only need to take out two of the nexus points. The second Nexus turns out to be in the universe of the Cosmic Avengers, where the Vision became an authoritarian computer program and by the year 2136 has made the Earth a major player in the affairs of the larger galactic tapestry. The current team lineup is missing Thor and Starhawk, but retains Commander America, Iron Droid, the Tachyon Torch, Jen, the Gamazon, and, of course, the Nexus himself, which is Ultravision. This time, the Timekeepers intend to use a pre-Michael Korvac as their pawn to destroy the Ultravision. 
As the Cosmic Avengers pursue, destroy, and capture Skrull Raiders on their starship, the Henry Pym, each team member is subdued by a mysterious opponent when they board the Skrull ship. They awake in capture tubes to see Korvac has hypnotized the Guardians of the Galaxy from his own 31st century timeline, and has used the Guardians, Vance Astro, Yondu, Martin X, and Charlie 27 to capture them. Korvac now intends to conquer 2136 and wrest control of the Ultra Vision. Korvac then uses his cybernetic eye beams to hypnotize the Cosmic Avengers as well and use them to breach the Ultra Vision's Mars headquarters. Korvac fights the Ultra Vision in cyberspace, while John Fury Jr. leads a squad of Space Shield Commandos against the mesmerized Cosmic Avengers and the Guardians of the Galaxy. During the battle on the astral plane, the Whisperer gives John Fury Jr. the down low on how the two teams are hypnotized. With this critical intel, he uses the ultrasonics on his gun to cancel out Korvac's control over the Cosmic Avengers. But, for whatever reason, Fury Jr. has used up all his ultrasonic power, goodbye, and it's the Cosmic Avengers versus the Guardians of the Galaxy. Luckily, Yondu's mystic nature allows him to defy Korvac's mind control, and when he jumps in front of Vance Astro's psionic bolt intended for Commander America, it gives the Guardians pause, which is enough time for Fury Jr. to get some round of two power! where he kajiggers his popgun to correct the 31st century frequency to free the Guardians from Korvac's mind control once and for all. In the meantime, Korvac has won his battle and absorbed the powers of the Ultra Vision. Sending murder mechs after both teams, Yondu and Iron Droid attack Korvac's physical body, which manages to undo his control of Ultra Vision. Unfortunately, even though the day is won, technically victory belongs to the Timekeepers, as the Ultra Vision is essentially dead. The Guardians of the Galaxy return to their own time in the 31st century, and the Whisperer recruits Iron Droid for the continuing Timequake storyline. And that is the end of What If Volume 2, Issue Number 36. And just in case anybody's wondering, the storyline basically continues with 37, where it deals with, like, the... the X-Men is a bunch of vampires and everything from that what if and the nexus point is Jean Grey but like Wolverine's stupid fan aura is so large by this point that by the time they get to the next chapter it, it, it seems like they're bringing like people from the different realities to have a a multiversal team, kind of like the Exiles, like that's that seems to be the point of the Whisperer's function. And like I was expecting, like the Vampire, Dark Phoenix, Jean Grey to join that team, but by the time you get to the next issue, it's just like Wolverine. And I was kind of like, oh man, like I was expecting something else, and I was kind of disappointed. But anyway, the the and then and then the the Nexus point in the the final part is actually Odin himself, where I guess the the what if is you know what if Thor becomes a thrall of the Egyptian god Set. So and and then and then basically the final chapter is what if the Watcher saved the universe and the Watcher you know assists all these guys to basically stop the 
timekeepers that turn out to be like this other set of characters. And anyway, it's kind of convoluted, but basically they, they save the day. So that's, that's pretty much the whole storyline, but we're, I was just focusing on issue number 36. I, I don't know if I got this off a of spinner rack, but I kind of feel like, I, I think like maybe I got this at like, like in one of those like comic packs and like, Costco or something like do you remember how they like used to have like a bunch of like random ass comics all packed in like these these like plastic kind of not boxes but it was like it's like they they had like two trays for comics and they had a bunch of comics in there and I, I think that's how I ended up getting this issue because I like I was telling you before we started the show like I, I feel pretty strongly versed in like the first I'd say like two years or so of these what-ifs, but I think after that, I'm not as familiar with the stories and everything. I kind of, you know, I poked my head in here and there for an issue or two, and this was one of those issues that I sort of, you know, poked my head in for, but I guess the the main reason why I picked it was because it was another nefarious way to get you guys to read some old Guardians of the Galaxy stories. <laughs> and, you know, I like the original Guardians and all that kind of stuff. So there, there's that, there's that kind of benefit for me, you know, because that, that's some, you know, characters that I enjoy. But also, like, I, I had a big passion for the Cosmic Avengers. And it's kind of funny. Like, I think this is like pretty much. I mean, with, with maybe a few exceptions, like, this is pretty much their only big story, but because I read this, like, at, at a, uh, impressionable enough age, I, I think I was kind of under the impression that Cosmic Avengers were a bigger thing than they actually were, and, like, I guess it just fits in with my personal aesthetic, like, I'm like, oh, the Avengers are okay, but you know what's cooler? Avengers in space! You know, it's like, these are the fucking cosmic Avengers. So I, I thought that was cool. And like, I, I have distinct memories. I was trying to see if I could find pictures for you guys or see if I could find the old videos and stuff. But I, I used to do these like, you know, kind of goofy customizations of some of my figures. And I'm pretty sure I made like shoulder pauldrons for like my Toy Biz Captain America to match the pauldrons for Commander America. And, and I remember like drawing a picture of the vision on a like sort of post-it note or sticker or something and like putting that like on like a playset so that like the vision could give like his computer orders to the, the, the cosmic Avengers, you know, wh whatever guys I had, you know, like Iron Man and Thor and, and, and Captain America. And I, I seem to remember using like one of the, the, the only Iron Guardsmen from G.I. Joe as Nick Fury. And I made him like a little eye patch or whatever. And like, I think those were my cosmic Avengers or whatever. But like, so anyway, I guess, I guess my point is I, I thought these guys were, were way more important than they actually were. And, and, and I guess the, the last thing I'll say before I ask you guys kind of like what you thought of the issue and, and, and if you had ever read it before and that kind of thing is I remember being kind of disappointed that like there was a mini series that was kind of like a isolated Spider Verse version of Captain America's variations over the years. And it was called the, the Captain America Corps. And it was like a five issue mini series and it was written, uh, by Roger Stern. And it was, it was a pretty decent mini series and it teamed up like 
it was like Steve Rogers before Bucky was his partner. So it was him with like the triangle shield and the chain mail and all that kind of, you know, kind of like that Kevin Maguire Sentinel of Liberty look and whatever. But like, I guess pre Bucky. So like really, really early in his career or whatever. And then, and then it was John Walker as U.S. agent. And then it was, uh, what's her face from the MC2? What's her name? American Dream. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, and then it was, um, I'm trying to think, uh, there, there was like the, the Ameridroid was in it as like one of the bad guys and all that kind of stuff. But then the thing that I thought was really weird was they made up a future Captain America for that book. And his name was Commander A. And I was just kind of like, is that supposed to be like Commander America from the Cosmic Avengers? Cause I thought they were like, really important and it turns out it's not it's it's like i i get you know i mean look it's written for its time it was like 2011 so it's like the guy's name is kiyoshi morales so it's like and and apparently like luke cage is like an ancestor of his or something so it's like he's basically he you know not not to insult anybody but he's like one of those mud people from south park's future or whatever like it's like Basically, like, the future is so awesome, like, everybody's, like, you know, a mud baby or whatever, and, like, everybody's happy, and, you know, everybody gets along, and all this good stuff, and they're celebrating, like, the USS Steve Rogers, you know, it's a, like, a, it's a naval vessel that's, like, launching in, like, you know, 20, 24, 12, or whatever year he comes from, but I, I do kind of remember feeling, like, sort of disappointed that, like, I'm like, but they already have a, like, a future you know, Captain America named Commander America. Like, why don't they just use him? But, you know, anyway, but that, that, th those were kind of my immediate thoughts. And I figured I, I had a lot to say about this issue, regardless of maybe the quality of it. You know, I know, I know it's not like the greatest story and the greatest art, but I just figured like I enjoy a lot of the characters in it. I like a lot of the concepts in it. So I figured it was, it was worth talking about and everything but I, I guess i'll open it up to you guys now like i i know you guys like are big on what if so i'm assuming you guys have both read this before right yeah yeah although it's been a very very long time like I yeah, kinda, yeah. i kind of remember the cover and then i was like oh yeah this is part of that time crossover thing and it's weird like i've read part one and i read this issue but i never ever read the other parts so you like summarizing those briefly. I was like, oh, okay, like that kind of filled in some blanks. But, but yeah, I remember reading this a long time ago, and you know, looking back at it now, I'm like, oh yeah, I know why. I, I know why I like this story because, of course, it's Roy Thomas. And you know how much I love his writing, and since it's Roy Thomas, you know, like he loves Vision and Human Torch, so they're pretty key to this story. And I also like those characters, so that was another like big thing for me especially like the fact that the vision is like so important to this and i always thought it was weird it's like it's like is that she hulk but it's like no her name is jen but it's spelled like weird like spacey like yeah, way. yeah. And she's like amazon i was like what's i remember as a kid i was like what's a gamazon i was like what what is like is that like a race of hulks like in the amazon in the future like i was like struggling with that as a kid well like i guess i guess they describe her as a clone of she hulk but yeah. I, I assume it's just a amalgamation of of uh, a gamma irradiated person and uh amazon you know but yeah it is funny the way they spell jen it's like j-h-e-n because it's supposed to be like future like you know 
like spark you or, yeah. or you know flark or whatever <laughs> stupid future term like you come up with you know crazy town banana pants like yeah. whatever whatever future terminology <laughs> you you come up with you know so and like i was like wait iron droid like that's iron man 2020 i was like what are they trying to pull here like that's clearly iron man 2020 suit i was like kind of confused by that but yeah like i well, remember it's it's interesting because they they describe him like in in the cosmic avengers first appearance which was like i think this volume of what if but it was in issue number 19 because that's when they go into like the vision becoming this kind of mm -hmm. you know basically computerized like demigod of of the earth and kind of the mastermind of their little earth federation of planets type thing or whatever and and like there's an iron droid in that issue who gets killed and like he gets killed by like the the mega scroll or something like that and and so like that and that iron droid is like well i'm i'm really nobody important like i'm not a stark i just work Stark in a interplanetary, which is what I guess they they call you know the the corporation then at that point, and so it's like then in in this storyline the Iron Droid that gets recruited by the Whisperer who later turns out to be Immortus, like it's like I I didn't want to scare you guys off that you thought I was going to be a villain, so I put a cloak on myself, made myself look like the Time Trapper, and called myself the Whisperer. <laughs> And gave you guys all like the download on how to save the day and stuff and, and, and that kind of thing. And like this new iron droid is just yet another employee, you know, yeah. of, of Stark Interplanetary. So he's not, I don't know. It's, it, I mean, I guess, I guess, you know, it, it depends on, you know, how much you like the, just the concept of the Arno Stark looking armor and everything like that. And then I guess the interesting thing for, for Tachyon Torch is, I mean, he's basically the descendant of, of, you know, Johnny Storm, obviously. It was weird though. I, I, I didn't see any evidence of this in the text, but on Comic Vine, I'm not sure where they got this from, unless maybe it's in another story I haven't read or something, but they, they, on Comic Vine, they describe him as the descendant of uh, Johnny Storm and Frankie Ray, and I was just like, hmm. well, that doesn't, I mean, I was like, I, I guess that could be possible, but, like, it seems like by this point in the Marvel Universe, like, Frankie Ray had turned into Nova, and later, you know, would be the Herald of Galactus, and then later would go poof, you know, so I'm <laughs> like, I don't know how that how that works, and I don't know if once you're a Herald of Galactus, you can... I don't know if she could gold down, like, the Mike Allred series and procreate, or what. Like, I, I don't know. So, I, I but I, I was just kind of like, I, I guess that could happen, but I, I didn't see any evidence of that in the text. There is, uh, like, there, uh, there is an instance of that where, um, I think it's like a Hercules series from the 80s, where he hooks up with Nova, and she turns, like, back to, like, human, basically. And, oh, yeah, okay. like Okay. I guess another big thing for me in uh, in this issue was I, I feel like I had recently read the Korvac saga. So, like, the fact that he is, you know, pretty key to this issue and he's, like, fighting the Vision. Like, I, I remember being kind of, like, excited for that. And I remember kind of, like, you know, there's this panel where, like, he's fighting the Vision and the Vision is, like, struggling because he's getting zapped. It's, like, there's a panel where, like, you know, Vision is getting zapped, and he has, like, this weird kind of, like, 
pained but sad look on his face and then you know Korvac's like and you're about to become extinct and I was just like well look at his face he's so like weird looking I thought kind of the art was interesting because apparently Dave Hoover has quite a bit of comic credits but he also has a lot of credits in terms of like animation that we would have all watched as kids whether it's like filmation or other stuff and so I, I found that kind of interesting but like looking at like the cover and like certain certain panels i i, I kind of think like he's just kind of doing a uh you know he, he's doing like all these cool swipes of other cool artists like because i i see like a lot of like Neil Adams and Gil Kane and maybe even some Dan Jurgens in 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 some of the poses and art and everything. Like I, I don't know specifically if you can, you know, go to it and see it, but like I'm thinking of like there's this page twenty four where it's like the the moment where Yondu like finally snaps out of the the mental hypnosis from Korvac. I swear to Christ, like that's I, I, I probably would need to pull it up side by side to confirm it, but, like, I'm pretty sure that's, like, just, like, from Green Arrow, Green Lantern, like, I'm I'm pretty positive, like, that, that's directly, like, swiped from it, but... Like I, a Neil Adams issue? Yeah, or, yeah, it, yeah. I was gonna say, because it kind of, I was like, I can, I, looking at that exact page, I was kind of like, that does kind of look like Neil Adams. It, it's it's either, it's either that, or like maybe one of his Brave and the Bolds or something. Like, I, I, it just looks a, a, a whole lot like that. Like, they, like, there's other stuff that's a little more subtle, like when I, I look through it, where it's like, I can't place it exactly, but that one panel, like, looks like it's totally like on the, on the nose for something like that. And then, like, there's this one panel of Vance Astro, I think, on page 18. And maybe it's just a stock heroic pose where, you know, his one fist is at his chest and then the other fist is, like, you know, punching in the air or whatever. But it kind of reminds me of, like, some some Gil Kane-type art and stuff so i i just kind of thought that was interesting because i i was kind of like oh this seems like you know he's basically doing doing his best you know imitations of of like good artists and everything like that but at the same time it seems like he has a whole lot of you know credits to his name you know even beyond you know comic books and everything like that that you know he, he you know I don't know if it's like Shira or whatever it is. I guess I could look it up real quick, but you know, I was just kind of like, oh, that's I don't know. He it, it seemed like off the top of my head, I didn't recognize his name, and I was just kind of like, oh, is this just like a one shot thing where he drew like a couple issues and tried to draw like you know some of his you know influences or favorite creators or, or what have you? But like, yeah, I'm looking at it now. It says. Um, Hoover started his career in animation as a layout artist for Filmation Studios, but also went to work for Hanna-Barbera and Mihan Productions, Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids, The Archie Show, Tarzan, Flash Gordon, He-Man, She-Ra, The Super Friends, Smurfs, Men in Black, Godzilla, Robocop, Alpha Chow Mando, and many more. You know, and <laughs> apparently he worked on... Uh, Fire and Ice, and Star Chaser, The Legend of Orin, which I'm also pretty familiar with and enjoyed as a kid. And then, like, when I was looking at, like, the, the comic stuff, like, he worked on the the Will Payton Starman, 
and he did a bunch of issues of like Cap and Punisher and Tarzan and Amazing Spider-Man and things like that. So I was like, oh, he's, I mean, he's clearly gotten around. Like I, I, I just, it didn't really, you know, stand out to me his name or anything, but clearly he's, he's done a bunch of work. So it's not like, it's, it's not like he hasn't put his mark on the industry or anything. I mean, obviously like most of the credits sort of turn into reprints like around the early, you know, early 2000s, but you know, like, oh, he worked on Iron Man, you know, 328 on the, you know, the Teen Tony run and like, you know, things like that. So it's like clearly he's done things that I've read. I just, it's never, I guess it just never. Oh, and then the other thing that that, that I was like thinking about is re- remember, like, I, I don't know if you do remember it or not, but re- remember when like Cap's, the super soldier serum was poisoning him towards the end of Grunwald's run. Mm-hmm. Like he drew all that, which I thought oh. was like awful, awful ass art. Yeah. But like, but like he drew a lot of that too. <laughs> so I was just like, Oh, I, I wonder if he was like channeling like all the image guys at the time. Cause that was the editorial directive or whatever, you know, like so. that, that image of vision that I pointed out, like, I could kind of see that being like a Neil Adams influence, like maybe like mm, Avengers, mm. like issue 90, 93, where like yeah, yeah. Ant Man goes to the center of the vision. Yeah, I could see that. So, do you guys have any love for the Cosmic Avengers, or you just totally forgot about them? I, I think I totally forgot about them. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I, the first time I I, 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 I dig them. So, the first time I read this issue, like. I think I wasn't as well read into a lot of things this issue references, so I think it was kind of impenetrable for me. And I was mm. like, well, who are these stupid idiots like that look just like the Avengers? Oh, and they're with my favorite team, the Guardians of the Galaxy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, the old ones, like, oh, yeah, so I think I probably, like, you know, sped read this the first time. But th- this time, like, I kind of notice a lot of things. Like I mentioned before, I was like, oh, the timekeepers. Like, I remember, like, they were in Avengers Forever. And, like, yeah, I kind of, and I was like, oh, and these Cosmic Avengers dudes, they they showed up in that previous What If. Like, what if, like, the vi- I think it's What If yeah. the Vision yeah, took over the world or something. Yeah, that's, that's yeah, that's yeah, the first so, appearance. So, so like, I, I think I enjoyed it more this time. But, like, I can, like, remembering my mindset when I read it the first time, like, I can see why it might be considered, like, you know, some kind of, like, you know, impenetrable like thing where you're like, what the, f- what does this matter? Like, what, yeah, what is, what yeah. is, what, what the hell does this? Where's Wolverine? Like, you know, as yeah. a nineties yeah. kid might. Like, yeah, yeah, no, I did. get it, because because this definitely has that that Roy Thomas flair where it's it's embroiled in all the the nuances and minutia of of not only like Marvel history but like all these what if alternate universe histories as well so yeah i can see why like yeah you you really do have to sit down and barrel down and actually read this like you can't just if you do just kind of skim through it it's like you you really won't really get the whole story like you can't just like look at the pictures and and get the story from it you know yeah and i like i, I was like, I think I had read the Korvac saga by this point, because I remember being like, like, like I said, I probably like tuned out as soon as I saw it was about like the original Guardians of the Galaxy. But I was like, oh, yeah, it's like box ass Korvac or whatever. Like, and then, right, right. Yeah. But then I was kind of like, oh, he's fighting a bunch of lamos. So I probably tuned out the first time I read this. OK, well, uh, you know, 
since since we're dealing with with lamos, I'll 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 let you guys off easy, and we'll we'll move on to the <laughs> the next issue, which is the one that Mike brought. So go ahead and tell us what issue you brought, and and what what's what's not lame about the issue that you brought. Well, I I picked what if I uh, what if volume two number sixty four. Uh, the t- on the title on the cover page it says "What if Iron Man sold out?" But the actual story, much like the last issue we talked about, the actual title of the story is inside, and it's "What if Iron Man went public?" And um, the it, there are no credits actually in this issue, but like uh, you know, with the wiki and like I I always was aware that like you know the familiar team of Simon Furman and Jeff Senior like uh, wrote and drew this and like I think I think either Simon Furman had to confirm this on his blog at one point because like when when he used to like regularly maintain his blog like people would shoot him questions and they were like, Hey, you wrote a whole load of what ifs. Right. And he was like, yeah. And he was like, well, some of those what ifs like back then don't even have like writer credits on them. And he was like, yeah, that's probably true of Marvel at that time. And he was so like, he named a bunch of them and this was like one of them. And I was like, well, that makes sense. Cause I love this issue. And like, it, it kind of, it, it, it kind of is a very noticeable, like Simon Furman style. And obviously the art is Jeff senior. You can't yeah. really mistake his art. That that kind of confused me because I was looking at this and I was like, "Is this Jeff Senior?" And I I was looking for a credits page and I was like, well, "There's no credits page," but like I'm pretty sure this is Jeff Senior, so I had to like you know go like Google it. Yeah, like so I I think like I said I forgot where, but like back in the day, like I think Furman like confirmed that he wrote this and Jeff like I like I said you can't really mistake his art basically. So, but uh, yeah, it was released in ni- 1994 and um. I did read like a loose like I don't think I ever owned this issue, but I, I did read like a loose copy of it somewhere. Like I think either my cousin had it or someone had it. And I always remember liking it. And it's actually like longer than a usual issue, too. I think it's like an extra like few like I forget if it's like 30 pages or like a full 40 pages. But it's a, it says it says here that it's 48 pages yeah so i was it's like annual right. length yeah so i don't know what what they uh what strings they had to pull to get that but you know you know i guess maybe if jeff senior said he would draw the whole thing with no you know for no charge or whatever but yeah i i don't know in whatever case yeah like this is one of if well, not you, I'm, I'm like thinking i'm like you certainly pay for it because because this issue's cover price was two bucks and like my issues cover price was one twenty five, and Justin's, which is like ten issues later, is only one fifty. So it's like, it's ah, not so like, yeah, they yeah, must have, so, yeah, they must have charged so, extra yeah, for it, yeah. yeah. But you know, like this is if if not my favorite, like one of my top favorite what ifs of all time, and like you know, no surprise, like being it written by like you know our one of some. Of, the most like notable transformers like writer of all time and like someone i grew up reading and also you know basically like i really liked iron man at the time that i read this so like uh, of course i was gonna like you know anything with uh you know his name on it and you know i i was reading uh len kaminsky's run around this time and like uh, anything that was basically similar to that like i would probably like so but uh, yeah, so I'm just going to read the summary that the wiki has. So like I kind of 
you know, usually we kind of like laugh about how poor the grammar is in some of these. So like if I come in contact with some of that, I'll try to, you know, power through it. But like uh, here, here is the summary for what if Iron Man went public uh, as given by the Marvel Wikipedia. After Tony Stark created the Iron Man armor, he went ahead and patented the technology, causing a boom in advancement. Unfortunately, it caused many consequences, such as other countries having Iron Man armories, supervillains, as well as superheroes getting their hands on the technology, and non-tech-based heroes such as Spider-Man and Doctor Strange having retired or moved away. The age of heroes is effectively over. Even worse, with the Iron Man technology, stronger and better Sentinels were created that nearly wipe out mutant kind. Tony slowly becomes a recluse, afraid for his life and always hidden away in armor, while making one of his rare public appearances. Regretting what he has brought to the world, he secretly works on new tech to stay ahead of the rest. At the United Nations, several delegates discuss the threat of this rising arms race that Tony has caused. The wall collapses and Magneto arrives. He agrees, stating that he is taking responsibility for all mutants, whether they want it or not. These iron-based enhancements are ruining mutant kind, but they're nothing to someone who controls magnetism. To prove his point, he twists and tears apart several Iron Guard soldiers. If they don't stray, if I'm assuming he means like if humanity does not stray from this destructive path of doomsday technology, then Magneto will stop it for them. We see several reactions as this news spreads. J. Jonah Jameson laughs at how Spider-Man probably saw this coming and retired to avoid it. He turns around to see that Peter Parker has already left the room. Jim Rhodes ignores the news and focuses on tra tracking down Tony. Tony also hears about the threat and realizes Magneto and his powers are the answers to his problems. He sets out to confront the mutant with a new giant Iron Man mecha that made completely out of polymers that so Magneto's powers won't work on it. Spider-Man, meanwhile, meets with Doctor Strange to convince him that the superheroes need to return. Using the orb of Agamotto, the two see the whereabouts of their pairs, but Strange finds that they will be met with reluctance. Matt Murdock and his wife Elektra are enjoying their life in Greece. Thor rules Asgard in his father's place. Hank Pym and Wasp have gone back to science and left their hero lives behind. Peter doesn't care. He knows that Strange came back because he knows something bad is coming. If Strange can see the light, then so can the rest. In the light of Magneto's threat, the government has put more of the country's money into Sentinel technology to eradicate this mutant menace. This causes a riot to erupt between anti-Sentinel protesters and anti-mutant protesters. This is all interrupted once Magneto and his acolytes appear before everyone. Magneto believes that if this is how humans react to his ultimatum, they do not deserve to live. His acolytes easily destroy any and all Iron Guards in the area. What remains of the X-Men, led by Cyclops, show, show themselves to confront Magneto. Because of the technologically advanced Sentinels in this reality, many of the X-Men have already died, including Professor Xavier. With all these dead teammates, it is no wonder that Cannonball has already changed sides and is now loyal to Magneto. The X-Men and the Acolytes battle, but it's very one-sided. Magneto causes several planes to nosedive into the area that they are fighting, and then he finishes off Maverick by impaling him with a steel beam. 
Cyclops is brought before in front of Magneto and promises that others will stop him. He is proven right when Thor, Spider-Man, Daredevil, Elektra, Hank Pym, and the Wasp rush in and take down Magneto's acolytes. Thor takes the fight straight to Magneto while Iron Man also approaches. For a second, Tony stops and, watch Thor, and watches Thor fight Magneto. War Machine attacks his, uh, Tony's armor and disrupts the invisibility, which causes Thor to see him. And seeing, and seeing this giant Iron Man distracts him enough that Magneto is able to bury tons of rubble onto him and knocking him out of the game. See, here's where the grammar gets all dicey. Uh, Spider-Man webs up his face, Magneto's face, and strikes. Daredevil and Elektra also jump into the melee. As Tony powers his gigantic suit of armor, he is in awe that these three are going up against a guy who outclasses them, and they aren't coming close to backing down. War Machine figures they'll get nowhere with physically attacking Iron Man, so he grabs onto the outer armor and refuses to move. We find out what Tony's big plan is. He's going to absorb all of Magneto's magnetic energy and cause his giant overload armor to explode, sending and sending the en energy to a series of satellites, which will wash over the entire planet. All Stark tech will become useless. This, be this also means that all technology will be useless and the world will be in a new dark age. Iron Man manages to defeat Magneto, but Thor manages to convince him not to kill the villain. He claims Stark can make up for what he has done by being a hero, to which Tony agrees to. For a while after that, Tony Stark has no plans to leave his armor. He and Jim Rhodes force the government to halt Sentinel production and then use the funds for more helpful technology. The rest of the world soon follows suit. Of course, if they don't, then Tony will be forced to use the overload Iron Man to put an end to technology. And the story ends with the remaining heroes forming in a new Avengers team. So, yeah, that that summary leaves out some of the nuances of the story, but it basically yeah. gets the gist of it. Yeah, right. But like, yeah, like in general, like I really like this story and you can probably tell why, like not only, you know, is it an Iron Man story, but like I think like Peter Parker and Spider-Man come off really well in it. And, hey, uh, at least at least Spider Man doesn't die a horrible miserable yeah, death exactly. in it. So yep. that's 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 a bonus. And then I, you know, what's interesting is I know it's supposed to be an Iron Man story, but I feel like you know Magneto comes off as like super duper cool in it. Like yeah. I mean, I know and I, I, I know he's like the big bad, but like he he seems to have like all the best moments. Like that that splash page with Magneto where it's just you know him. Like you know, standing there looking all badass and stuff. Like yeah. that's that's a really really cool splash page. And then like the I I like that one panel where he's I think it's when he's fighting with Thor and like everybody else. But he's got that one line and he's like, I'm trying to remember why he oh he like basically it's like Thor's like smacking him around and everything and then and then he's like this is enough you know it's like it's like you always say the power of enough but he's yeah. like here let me enlighten you and he just blows everything away so it's like that's a, that's a really cool moment too issue is full of like awesomely like drawn and like you know epic moments like Thor hitting Magneto's like head in the back with his hammer mm. and stuff and like 
like I, I love like I, I think I posted it when I talked about my like favorite Iron Man armors uh, like on the blog spot. But I love like the overload armor and I love the moment where he like grabs Magneto's force bubble in its hands and like crushes it. Like, I think that's super badass. So before I say it, I, I you may have already said it first, because maybe I'm thinking of something that you wrote on that blog, but were you the one who described that kind of dreadnought overload armor as, like, looking kind of like symbiotic titan? No, I just kind of, I think I called it, like, the Liege Maximo armor okay. or something. Okay. It, but yeah, you're you're right, though. That kind of does remind me of that. Yeah, because that's, that's kind of what I thought of when I was reading it this time, where I was like, oh, that kind of reminds me of that. You know what else I thought was cool was, you know, it, it, there, there are like these cool little, like you said, it, it kind of loses some of the nuances of, of what happens. Like, I, I like that bit where Spider-Man ends up fighting the Beetle, and because the Beetle has, like, Stark Tech, like, he's, you know, essentially the Super Beetle, you know? Like, he's got like, an even better suit of armor because he has access to all those Stark patents and everything. So I, I kind of dig, like, the Super Beetle look. And then I think one of the other, um, like, nuances that, that I kind of dug that was going on in, in the background and everything was how, like, you had, you know, the, the various characters, you know, like, whether it's, like, the X-Men or... Like, even, like, that moment where you see, like, Doctor Doom has had his armor upgraded with, like, Stark Tech. It's like, it almost looks like he's a freaking you know, wrestler or something. Because he's, he's basically, like, made the Fantastic Four jobber to his, like, He-Man looking Doctor Doom armor or something. So that's, like, a... It, it's funny <laughs> how, like, that doesn't... It, it doesn't really go into any vast detail on how Doom defeated the FF, but you can clearly see, like, because Stark's technology was was available for public consumption, Doom utilized that to his advantage, and that was all he needed as far as to to have the upper hand on the FF in this universe. So, like, I I, I thought that was kind of a cool bit. The the, the only thing, I mean, I you know, I I think a lot of the art is cool. I think maybe some of the storytelling is a little, you know, it's early in his career. Like, some of it might need a little work. Like, there's some really great moments in this, but but I kind of feel like there's some moments where it's like I I guess the thing I can point to specifically is the introduction of Hank Pym and the Wasp, like, it's so, I don't know, subtle. Like, I, I feel like I, I missed it somehow. Like, like, and it, I, I get it. There's the panel where Peter Parker's recruiting everybody. And it's like, I guess I kind of got that. It's like, oh, yeah, that's Matt Murdock and Electra. Like, I could tell it was them that he went to recruit. I could tell, like, Strange and Peter went to go recruit Thor. But, like, there's that panel where it's like he was recruiting Hank, and I was just kind of like, what the hell is Hank doing? Like, examining a grenade? Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I was just like, and, and I, I, I at didn't, the time... I, like, I, I was I, gonna say, I didn't yeah. much care for, like, Hank Pym's, like, giant man costume. Like, it didn't look yeah, like anything. Yeah, it, it doesn't, it doesn't really, like, I, I don't think that, that seems like, like, giant man. You know, like, like, it, like, I think if you just showed somebody that picture, I, I don't think, I don't think Hank Pym or Giant Man would be their first guess as to who that is. I, I thought it was Blonde Hercules for some reason. Mm. I was like, yeah, who is this? 
Yeah, like the 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 costume looks kind of like primitive, ancient warrior like sort of. Yeah, I guess. yeah. Like, not like a scientist or anything. So, and I didn't I didn't really care for Jeff Senior's like redesign of the Spider Man costume either. Like it, he kind of had like the webby design all the way up his legs and stuff. Like I don't know, it looked like pajamas or something. Mm. Would uh, would you say that Iron Man armor is like a vast predatory bird? Yes. <laughs> and all other Iron Man armors are surplus to requirements. <laughs> I, I always thought that armor was like really weird, but like I was reading this and I was like, have I read this? And I was like, oh, I, I don't remember the beginning of this issue. And then I got into it and I was like, wait, wait, wait. Is this the one where Iron Man gets that weird giant armor and he fights Magneto? And then the more I got into it, I was like, oh, yeah, this is the one. I've read this. But it's, you know, it's been like 25 years or something. But, like, I started thinking about it. And I'm pretty sure, like, one of my friends from school bought this at our local Rite Aid. And he was a huge Iron Man fan, much like Mike. So, like, I read his copy. And I'm pretty sure, like, this, I, I think, like, I'm not certain, of course. But, like, I think this might be the first issue that right aid carried because i don't remember buying any of the previous issues from there and but i'm i'm pretty positive like i personally bought like issues like 65 to 103 myself because i was like looking at the cover gallery in the marvel wiki i was like well i had all of these from like from like from here to here and i was like i i remember like going and seeing that you know the first appearance of like mayday in that what if and I was like, what is this? Like a spider chick? Like, uh, I don't care. And I didn't buy it. And then, of course, Wizard was like, oh, this is the hottest issue ever. Like, you're going to buy this. It's super expensive now. And I was yeah, like, yeah, I was like kicking myself. I was like, no. <laughs> I remember when that was like in one of the the, the Wizard top tens or whatever. Yeah. No, but, no. Um, oh, good. But, uh, but yeah, like I do. I do remember reading this. And I, I mean, you know, like I like Iron Man, too. Like, I, I, I think I kind of. I always liked Iron Man, but because of my buddy was a huge Iron Man fan, like I ended up reading, you know, stuff like this and his back issues of Iron Man. And I turned into a pretty big Iron Man fan. But, you know, at the time, of course, the big draw to me, the big draw for me to this issue was the whole Magneto thing. Like, I thought that was awesome. I was like, well, dude, like, of course, Magneto could like totally like wipe out all these like iron goons. And like, of course, he could like just own iron man like that's obvious like anyone could see that but i thought this was like a really great issue and you know like when the you know magneto was fighting iron man and um avengers versus x-man i was like again i was like well of course magneto's gonna like crush iron man and then they were like subverted your expectations and made me all grumpy and shit and i think i had like flashbacks to this issue but like yeah this is this was like a really good issue and it kind of like it brought back some memories uh for me yeah no, like I really love when an artist like kind of obscures Magneto's face, like inside mm, the helmet, yeah. like like my avatar. Like I, mm -hmm. I think that always looks awesome, and like Jeff Senior does it a bunch of times in this issue. So I thought that added an extra layer of like badass to Magneto's portrayal here. And what I what I was gonna say is like I, I think it's odd for this period for us like an odd, almost out of place to see a story where the X-Men get totally choted and it's the Avengers that look awesome, like, and like come mm. in and save the day and stuff. So I guess yeah. I appreciate it more for that. I wanted to ask you guys, because I didn't look at the wiki uh, in detail, 
but like some of those characters on Magneto's team, like are those real characters or were they made up like that? That purple chick, like, is she a real character? Because I don't recognize her. Let's see. I think it's, what is it? It's Cannonball Feral, and then that one acolyte guy was a toy. And And then there's Fabian Cortez. Yeah, Fabian Cortez. Cortez Is that supposed to be the porcupine man? Like, I'm like... (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. uh, We we can, we can, uh, I'm curious now. Let's see. I'm going to look it up. I'm like... We've got the interwebs. We can look this shit up and find out who these kooky-ass people are. Let's see how well Comic Vine did. Um, let's see. Delgado. That must be one of them. Who the hell was Delgado? Delgado was one of the original Acolytes. He died when Asteroid M crashed. He's the big, large, muscular dude with the bald head and the mustache. Where he says, like, you heard Lord Magneto, fellow acolytes. It is time for the men of iron. Like, that's Delgado. Mm. See, so, I thought that was, like, strong guy, maybe. Yeah, he's, he's apparently he's one of the original acolytes. Um, let's see, Fabian Cortez. Um, you know, you know uh, another thing that I thought was interesting now, and I'm looking through all these character names. You know, one of the, the iron, I guess droids or squad or whatever they called them like you could hear in one of the panels like one of them was like you know glenn talbot so i thought that was kind of a cool little touch that you know you never really saw him but that Mm. in this universe you know talbot you know was part of the you know military iron man squad or what have you well richter is supposed to be one of them is that richter Oh, maybe, yeah, because doesn't him doesn't, and, him doesn't and Hank Pym Man say like, like a, that's a he's like yeah, this is an earthquake. Yeah, they have like, like a so, Let's see, what is and is he the purple guy then? I don't know. Maybe maybe he's just shittily colored, Justin. <laughs> maybe maybe that's Richter. No, but there's like a purple chick too. She's got like red hair. Oh yeah, like she, oh 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 yeah, that one. Oh, okay, yeah. I see what you're saying. Where it, is that? I don't know. Like, and she's like firing off like electricity or something. Let's see. Senyaka is the dude with the whips, like, um, and he was a toy. I think Comic Vine's failing as far as the the redheaded, purple blue girl or whatever. And I I still I'm wondering if that one guy is like Porcupine Man or whatever because I'm just like who's that dude. Um, let's see. I'm going to try one more. I'm going to try one more internet resource because I'm curious. Okay, the the Marvel Wikipedia says it's his acolytes are Cannonball, Feral, Sunspot, Fabian Cortez, Delgado, Spore, Sinyaka, Richter, and Maelstrom. Hmm, Spore. Yeah, who the, who the hell is Spore? Spore. Spore was a living, thinking bioweapon? Okay. Well, that doesn't look like any of these characters. Apparently Spore is like the shaggy guy, like not Porcupine Man. And Maelstrom is like the chick that I'm questioning. Okay. Alright, well, that's that's good enough. I'm, I'm satisfied enough. I have had a minuscule X people in now, in now, yes, yeah, it's fine. I mean, there was a there was a, I, Magneto went through acolytes like potato chips. I think like there were a ton of them. 
What do you guys think of, um, I, I know we talked about sort of the, I guess as I was calling it, the, the symbiotic Titan armor or the, you know, the Liege Maximo armor or what what have you. But, like, what do you think of Rhodey's armor? Like, on the cover, it almost looks like he's, like, the Abomination or something. But, like, when you look in the interiors, it's it looks a little different. It kind of looks, I don't know, like a little more War Machine-y, but... It, it certainly has its own yeah it's a, it's like kind of alieny like it, it almost kind of reminded me of his like alien armor okay. except it looks okay. cooler than that but, except it looks good yeah. yeah yeah like sorry artist who drew that run of war machine <laughs> yeah it was pretty cool like i'm, I'm glad like roadie had a role to play in this as well and and uh well, yeah they 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 definitely seem to pimp him as like the the right hand man because it's like you know that that he's you know he's basically running the business for tony right like at some point they say it becomes stark roads you know incorporated or whatever because of how big a role he's playing in the day-to-day operations so like that is that is pretty cool you know, you know what kind of irritated me just because I was lazy, I guess. But all the like sideways pages, I was like, oh man, like you mean I gotta like turn my comics like upside down to read this? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I always I always kind of like even even when they made all of them sideways, like in that fucking X Force Spider Man thing. Like I I've never been a fan of them making me turn my goddamn comic a different way. And then, you know, you know, the other thing I'm saying for, for all the fan or that Magneto had in this, like, I'm sorry. Like, that's the one thing about that wiki, uh, that, that was probably halfway decent was where they said like, oh, and Daredevil and Elektra join the fray. But if you like, if you look at that panel, like, it looks like they're beating the hell out of Magneto. And I'm just kind of like, what? Like, this is ridiculous. Like, they could, they couldn't, I'm like, if they could get that close to touch him, like, they'd be dead. But it looks like they're just kind of. You know, I don't know. At, at one point, he's got his hands on Elektra's throat, and Daredevil's kneeling. But you know, it's it, they they don't really go. Like I said, some of the the storytelling in this probably leaves something to be desired. Like you you may want to you know you may have wanted to accentuate that Magneto like wiped the floor with those guys, even though they were you know trying to lay him out. You know, but. Yeah, you know, it is what it is. I I think it's funny that like I mean in in an era where there have been plenty of questionable Avengers in the modern era, like it, it's interesting because you've got like two founding members in Thor and Hank. Well, I guess three: Thor, Hank Pym, and Wasp, right? And I guess I don't mind like Doctor Strange being an Avenger or Spider Man even being an Avenger, but like. I don't know, like Daredevil and Elektra, like it seems just like, well, they're here, might as well let them join, like, you know. Yeah, kind of thing. it's like, you know, that amazing Spider-Man annual where uh, they want Spider-Man to join the Avengers and like they call, they're, they're like, let's call Daredevil and ask him like if he would make a good Avenger and Daredevil's like, like, oh man, the Avengers. And they're like, oh, we want to talk about Spider-Man and Daredevil's like, oh, like, <laughs> <laughs> no, but he's like, no, Spider Man's a cool dude. He'd be a cool Avenger. I was like, thanks, Daredevil. Like, go away now. Like, <laughs> <laughs> go go back to lawyering. I get what you mean. I guess I, that was mitigated for me by, like you said, like the next panel you see them, it's like Magneto's got his hand around Electra's throat and stuff. Right, so right. it probably didn't last very long. But 
I, I just feel like that, you know, it's one of those things where you feel like, oh, there's there's a there's a panel missing there somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> you know? well, also, like Spider-Man webbed him in the face. So, yeah, like, yeah. probably had a moment. But, you know, I guess that we, we all can't be uh, Matt, poor Maverick and get a girder thrown through like in our chests. He but, got yeah. he got killed by a decent bad guy. It's not like, you know, it's not like um, Sinyaka or one of these other has been like two bit, you know, acolytes for the ones that killed him. At least he got <laughs> taken out by Magneto. Yeah, know? so he he got t- taken out by the Ryu guy. Yeah, not the the Diet Coke versions or yes, whatever. Yes. So but yeah, I am, so... I am Cortez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cortez. I think like there's a panel of Cortez like killing Gambit or something really briefly too. So or like making him explode or something. That that is kind of surprising in 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 this day and age that so many X Men were summarily executed. You think you think it's like it's like they had to kill like five X Men just not to kill Spider Man in this. Is like, <laughs> yeah. That, is, that, is that the deal? I guess so. But yeah, like I like I like I said, I really like this issue. It's probably one of my favorite what ifs of all time, and uh, like I'm glad I could bring it to your you know att- attention again. I guess. Yeah, because I, I I do remember when you when you brought this up. I guess I, I guess it was in that article you wrote about the you know your favorite armors, but I I, I remember you bringing it to my attention before, so it, I did remember reading this when you when you brought it up that time. So, so, this, so was, this was a fun reread. Yeah. So, so, yeah. so, so Hasbro, when do I get a overload Iron Man bath? Um, Hasbro's like, uh, never. Yeah, <laughs> probably not. No, it's like, it's like, as, as soon as I get my, my deep dive Iron Man armor, <laughs> never. at least that was in a cartoon. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's, let's move on and, and let's talk to Justin. Justin, you have the final what if for the evening. Why don't you tell us what issue you brought and what we're talking about for the final segment of the show? Well, my choice is what if volume two, number 74. What if Mr. Sinister formed the X-Men? And this has a cover date of June 1995, and it sold for, as Derek told you earlier, a whopping $1.50. The story is titled Sinister Deceptions, and much like Mike's book, it is written by Simon Furman, and it's illustrated by Nathaniel Pallant. And as for the story, the X-Men, comprised of Cyclops, Havoc, Sabretooth, Sauron, and Malice, a clone of Jean Grey, battled Magneto. Sabretooth and Sauron begin to bicker over who will deliver the killing blow to Magneto, but he withdraws. Back at the base, Scott apologizes for how the battle went down while Sabretooth mocks his cheerleading. Later, Mr. Sinister berates Sabretooth for his mocking tone, telling him how much time and effort he has put into Cyclops and how important he is. Later, the X-Men are tracking a mutant who turns out to be Storm. They then encounter the really for reals X-Men comprised of Beast, Mimic, Banshee, Angel, and the really for reals Jean Grey. The two teams battle it out. Sabretooth has Jean by the throat and is about to kill her when Cyclops switches sides, blasting Sabretooth away. Meanwhile, Magneto and his brotherhood attack Mr. Sinister. Scott returns to find a dying Sinister who tells him in his best Asagara voice, Keep the dream alive! <laughs> 
Six weeks later, we see Cyclops and Havoc have joined the real X-Men, but Mr. Sinister is alive and well and comments how Xavier is a threat, but he now has a wolf in the fold. So like I said, I purchased this from our, my local Rite Aid, and I purchased, you know, like I said, I'm pretty sure I bought issues like 65, which is right after Mike's issue, up to like 103, and then after that, I kind of, I don't know if I like lost interest or like was moving over to like buying more like DC stuff, and it was just a budget thing, but like that's, that's kind of where I dropped off. Like I'm, I know I never read the last issue because it's like kind of a Secret Wars thing or something. But yeah, like I kind of like picked this randomly. I was looking at the cover gallery and I was like, well, I could go with this one or I could go with this one. And I was like, oh, I remember this one. I'm just going to go with it. And I mean, I don't think this is like an especially like great what if or, or anything. But I, I, I don't know. I just kind of like the premise. And I remember being kind of like fascinated by some of the like costume choices, especially it's like, OK, this is like. You know, this should be like around the time of X-Men 1 because, you know, you have – it opens with Magneto attacking that base. But then it's like some of the costumes feel like they're from Age of Apocalypse. Like, well, like Sa Sabretooth is definitely the Jim Lee costume, and you'd think at the very least if this was around the time of X-Men number 1, he'd, he'd look like the original Iron Fist costume or what yeah. have you. But, like, Cyclops and Malice especially look like they just stepped out of, like, Age of Apocalypse. And I think that's what I thought when I bought this. I was like, oh, cool, this is going to be, like, uh, Age of Apocalypse, like, kind of thing. And then you get into it, and you're like, oh, this is, like, taking place around the time of, like, issue uh, number one of X-Men. And then you have, like... You have Mimic, who's on the Really For Reals X-Men, but because Cyclops isn't there, he doesn't have, like, that weird, bulky, you know, eye gear that Mimic has. And then Banshee, like, his costume kind of reminds me of his Age of Apocalypse costume, too. Um, but had either of you, like, read this issue before? Uh, this was my first time, so... Yes, I, I I have read this issue, and like I I read it like I think I'm pretty sure I read this and like off a spinner rack. Like I don't know if I bought it, but uh, this was definitely an issue that was like in a grocery store that I read like while I was waiting for my parents to shop. And... I, I'm surprised you didn't, but since it's so like Cyclops focused, yeah, like a, I, I I was probably hungry for any kind of X Men stuff, so like I, I I'm surprised I don't own it either. But like I know <laughs> I definitely read it in maybe I just wasn't allowed to buy something that week or something, and then I never saw it again. But like I know I did read this like way back when because I was kind of like. You know, yeah, I, I, was, I was probably happy that Cyclops was, like, the main character, but I was also like, why is Cyclops, like, Sinister's bitch in this? <laughs> but no, like, I, I, I you know, I, it, it's, a, it's an okay issue. I mean, it's not, yeah. like, it, reading it again, it's, like, it's not terrible. Like, you, you know terrible. A lot of what-ifs have, like, a very strong chance of being terrible, but, like, this is just kind of an okay one. Yeah. And speaking of, like, swipes we were talking about in Derek's issue, like, I swear to God, like, some of the those Magneto, like, shots are, like, swipes from, like, Andrew Wildman's, like, X-Men Adventures or something. Oh, like, okay. I, I could have sworn, okay. yeah, I could have sworn I've seen some of those Magneto poses before. Yeah, I can, I can see that. I, I'm, I was just looking at the dates. I'm kind of like, Age of Apocalypse came out the same year that this did, so I, I wonder if 
if that was either around the same time. And so they just, because Sinister was essentially their Professor X, like they just tried to apply his aesthetic to, you know, Scott and, and, and Alex and I guess Maddie, you know, like, and I, I can chalk up the, the, uh, the, the malice costume, you know, to the fact that she's being like possessed by malice, you know? So I was like, Oh, that's, I, I can dig that. But I, I totally see what you're saying. Like if this is set around the time frame of, you know, the 1963 X-Men one, like why is Sabretooth looking like Jim Lee other than, you know, the Jim Lee outfit other than, you know, it's cool and hip and in the, in the now or what have you. I really like the cover. I mean, like yeah. the, 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 it's, it's Liam Sharp. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm, I've always been a, big fan and he's a nice guy and I've met him before but like yeah I do I do like this cover I was like oh it's too bad he didn't do the the interiors but you know that's you know that's fine I also think it's really weird to see like Cyclops wearing a turban when they're like looking for Storm oh right 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 and he's he's kind of like internalizing like a lot of this issue is like Scott internalizing and stuff but like he's kind of like uh, Malice is really hot, but like I think she has an ugly side because that's why he's like not making out with her and stuff. <laughs> well, it's it's almost like he knows she's she's a clone, yeah. Even though he hasn't been told, you know, like so, and that that that's that's also kind of interesting, like that they and I the I I think that was my first question because I had never read this before, so I didn't know that they were gonna like meet the really for reals X Men as the story went on. So like I think my original question is like. Why'd he clone Jean Grey? Like, why can't he have the original? You know, like, and and then it's like, oh, I get it. Like, Xavier still recruited her, and and she's on the straight and narrow, whereas you know Cyclops has been sort of misled. You know, and like, uh, and I was kind of like, oh, okay, I, I get it. And it's pretty much, it's like what? It's like Banshee mimic, and then for the most part, the original team minus Iceman. You know, so I was like, okay, that kind of. You know, I guess that kind of makes sense and everything. I think I would have gotten up and said, like, done with this comic if Wolverine was one of the original X-Men. <laughs> you you, you yeah. know, that that's something that's super interesting, because speaking of, I, I know we talked about this enough this evening, but speaking of Wolverine's overinflated fan aura, I'm kind of shocked that Wolverine wasn't in this at all. I was just like, wow, what a what a rare, it's like, this is an X-Book and Wolverine isn't even in it, much less he's not the focus, you know, like, I was like, that's kind of, I I feel like that's, like, incredible, you know, like, it's like, it's like watching, like, I know, I know Wolverine was in it, but it's kind of like watching First Class and going, holy shit, they can make a movie without Wolverine in the fucking thing, even though he has a cameo in that, but you, you, you get my point, it's just like, he's not, you know, Wolverine is not the driving action of this, you know, and I was just kind of like, oh, that's, that's kind of, it's kind of interesting. Yeah, it's it's kind of surprising they went with Sabretooth instead of Wolverine because you could easily like switch them out and it probably wouldn't make much difference, really. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I I guess I guess I think of it as like Sabretooth's always been one of Sinister's kind of lap dogs, so I guess to me it makes more sense that it's Sabretooth. But but I I yeah I guess the story wouldn't have changed a whole hell of a lot if. If it had been Wolverine, you know, it's interesting in your in your description and 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 hearing your description, I'm looking at the last couple panels and going, oh, I I see what Justin's saying. Although I took it kind of differently, but like 
like you're basically saying Sinister faked his death, didn't really die and sort of, or Sinister came back to life or, or what have you. Like, and then, and then, you know, Scott is basically a wolf in the fold with his brother, you know, on Professor Xavier's team. But like, I think when I was reading it, and I don't know if I'm just inventing shit, because now that I'm looking at the panels, I'm like, well, your description seems to make sense, because that, although it is kind of vague, and yeah. I, I took it as kind of vague. So, like, like when I read it, I was just kind of like, did Sinister, like, touch his cheek with the blood to, like, take over Scott's body? Like that, that, that was, that was kind of an interpretation I had where, where it was like, cause you know how like after he touches him with the blood and then Gene comes up behind him and touches him on the shoulder, it's almost like it, it, you could read it as he's despondent because his longtime mentor and father figure just passed away and, you know, put his blood on his cheek. But you could also read it as at that point, you know, he's like, you know, doing the Saul Guerrero and going, make me proud, you know, but it's like, that's also kind of hypnotic too, where it's like, you know, he, he, I took it more as instead of a Saul Guerrero, it was like, you know, Mr. Spock going, remember. And then all of a sudden it's like Cyclops has like Mr. Sinister's green blooded inhuman Vulcan bullshit in his head, you know? So it's like now that he's with the team of, of Professor X's X-Men, he may be learning from Professor X and all that other stuff, but in the back of his head, like he, he just needs the proper mental trigger. Like I, I was wondering if that was an image of Sinister, like in his brains, you know, like not like, back to life but mm. like kind of like his katra in scott and then later you know it'd be like oh dude i gotta like you know i don't know you know throw the old man in the wheelchair down the stairs because that's his weakness and then i will be in charge you know or i i don't know how that would exactly play out but you know something along those lines i can, yeah. I can see how you can interpret it that yeah. way because i yeah. was kind of like like he the the last line is about like blood and he talks about it so there's like reference to it like in in you know in the dialogue so you think you you would naturally assume the art would like you know reinforce that but yeah that's that's my pick and like i said you know like like mike said it it's not a great issue it's not terrible it's just it's it's a fun read and that's kind of why i wanted to bring it just it's fun yeah i think i think overall like the majority of these have been fun i mean i wouldn't I, I wouldn't put any of these. Well, I I mean maybe Mike would put his on like a a top ten list or something like that. But I I think the you know for for just speaking for my pick, it's not like I would tout it as like this is a must read. Like you have to read it. But it's just something I particularly had fond memories of and had enjoyment reading. And it, it seems like that's true of of the the comics that you guys brought tonight too. Fan holes, top ten comics you must read before you die. Yeah, that it's not gonna be on that list. <laughs> no, not at all. It's like it's like it'd be on the top ten list of like like after you read all the original Guardians of the Galaxy, Derek's top ten other Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> original comics you must read before you die. Yeah, yeah, something like that. Mr. Sinister is tougher and faster. <laughs> it's funny, I, I was having a discussion with some people uh, on another podcast, and I don't know if it'll ever see the light of day, but it, it, at some point we were talking about Mr. Sinister, and it was like that whole idea like Chris Claremont wanted Sinister to be like Billy Batson or whatever, where like that Nate 
personality in the orphanage was going to be like, Shazam! And he turned into Mr. Sinister or whatever. And so I was, like, thinking about that because they have that flashback. You know, the, the, the key moment of this what-if is like, oh, you know, Sinister took out those, those uh, you know, adults as far as the orphanage goes. And then that, you know, changed the the path of, of how, you know, how he manipulated Scott Summers and all that other kind of stuff. So I, that, that did sort of occur to me as I was reading this, but yeah, there's, there's, there's interesting bits as far as Mr. Sinister goes. So I, I, I think this was a, like you said, this was a fun read and it's cool to see, you know, it's kind of like that whole mirror universe thing. It's cool to see people sort of acting out of character and maybe having a little more fun being evils and, and that kind of, that kind of twist. Yeah, I, I always kind of liked Mr. Sinister, and I think that's largely thanks to the cartoon because he was pretty prominent in the cartoon. Mm. So, like, whenever he showed up in the comics, I was like, ooh, Mr. Sinister. And, like, that's that's one of those, like, cartoon voices, like, I can't unhear. So, like, anytime mm. I, like, read Mr. Sinister in the comics, like, I hear that cartoon voice. You, you know what? I, I think the, the cartoon, uh, you know, as much as I, you know, poke fun at it and deride it from time to time, like... I think at least in terms of Mr. Sinister, like not only was he prominent, but like I, I, I did voice this when I was talking with those other guys. I think when I was first introduced to Mr. Sinister, you know, it was during the Mark Silvestri X-Men run when he first showed up. And I was like, who is this like, like, I think first I thought it was Colossus dressed up in like some purple outfit. And I was like, what the fuck happened to Colossus? Like, why is he all dressed up like, uh, you know, some weirdo in purple? And then and then when I looked at it, you know, then I, and, and read the story, I was like, oh, this is some other guy. And I was like, what is he? Colossus is like evil brother. Like, what? You know, who, you know, who is this Derek, guy? Derek, secret brothers. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I totally, I totally thought that Mr. Sinister was Colossus's secret evil brother. And, and I was kind of like, what, you know, who is this guy? And, and I guess what I was going to say was, I think what the Fox Kids show helped me out with was when, when Mr. Sinister would open his mouth and he had that it smile with the like jagged pointed teeth. Like to me, that was good enough to, help further distinguish him from Colossus. Cause I was like, Oh, this guy's fucking evil. He's got like the it chomper smile or whatever. And I was like, Oh, okay, cool. I get it. You know, I get it now, you know, but I think before that, like I, you know, when it was just sort of for, for lack of a better term, it's like Mark Silvestri's Mr. Sinister is kind of like Todd McFarlane's venom. It's like pre the giant slimy tongue and all, so, some of the other details that people consider, maybe essential to the design of Venom, where, you know, Todd McFarlane's was more like the big smiley-faced version of Venom, for lack of a better term. And it's kind of like Mark Silvestri's version of Mr. Sinister was kind of like that proto-version. And then I think, you know, maybe once that cartoon came out, and then I think Larry Stroman started drawing him in, like, the X-Factor issues and stuff like that, then I think he, he sort of took a life of his own, you know, as far as that goes. or Or at least he seemed a little more separated from my initial impression that he was just sort of a clone of Colossus. But yeah, I guess if that's if that's it, I think we'll we'll wrap up the episode for tonight. If you guys have any comments, questions, and or concerns, you can send them to fanholspodcast at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Comics Motherfucker, do you read them? 
We have plenty of other spin-off shows. We've got Mobile Suit Mondays, Transformers Tuesdays, Toku Thursdays, Sentai Saturdays. We've got Big in Japan, where we talk about anime. We've got Justice, not entirely dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast. And we, of course, have the Fan Holes podcast proper. We can be streamed on Stitcher Radio. We're on iTunes. We appreciate all the feedback. We are on all kinds of social media. We are on Tumblr, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And until the next time, this is Derek, Derek WC. The Buck Rogers stops here, mister! Signing off. Hey, it's Mike, and too bad about that Stark Tech uh, pacemaker. Bye. And this is Justin reminding you to keep the dream alive. (laughs) Scott's like, wait a minute. Mr. Sinister never sounded like Forrest Whitaker.
Hello. Hey. Yo. How you guys doing? I'm okay. I had a good time. I went to that. I went to one of those local San Jose shows that happen like every, I don't know, they're kind of like quarterly or whatever. I mean, usually, like, there's not, you know, there's like one or two celebrities or whatever. So it was, um, it was like fucking Mike Brady from the Brady Bunch or whatever. So I didn't really care about that. But it was funny how, like, they're announcing it's like, Mike Brady's here, and he's got the tiki doll from the vacation <laughs> episode. If you want to line up and take a photo before it gets really busy, yay! Yeah. So I was like, which means oh. that it wasn't busy at all for him, probably. No, no, I, I don't think it was. But I, I thought it was funny that they're like, "You better go there before it gets really busy." You know, like that was, yeah, okay. I, I think he was in Knoxville last year, also with the tiki thing. So I guess that's like his thing that's now. His thing to take. Yeah photos with people with the tiki yeah the, the crazy tiki head like why would you like do people yeah. remember what that episode is about like why would you want to get anywhere near that fucking tiki <laughs> are you kidding me why don't you destroy the tiki bury it kill it the the whole the whole point of that fucking special was the tiki kept fucking shit up for the brady's like like why would you want to take a photo with that it's like it's like come and meet the ring girl she'll eat your insides you better get in line fast she's gonna come out of the tv and rape your ass like hurry up get in line you know i was just like what all right ass rape come on honey (laughs) come on honey let's go take a picture and get both of our asses raped (laughs) check it out i'm cursed bro (laughs) i'm cursed (laughs) 